and welcome to our Truly Scrumptious podcast, where we talk food festivals, festival food, foodie friends and friends of the festival. In each episode, we will chat to some of our many friends, our celebrity chefs and bakers, food producers, festival team and other people involved in the festival world. We'll even hear some backstage gossip. It's a huge world. It's a hard-working one and great fun too, although a tad stressful at times. My name is Lottie Duncan, and I'm a food presenter, writer, and eater. We want to bring our food festivals to your door, your ears, your living room, and most definitely your kitchen. So draw up your chair, pour yourself something scrumptious, take the weight off your slingbacks, and join us within the world of food, festivals, and foodie types. In June, John and I flew over to Northern Ireland. I had been asked to host the Meet the Producers stage at the Comber Early's Potato Festival in Comber, which sits on Strangford Loch. It is a beautiful town in a stunning part of the country, and we were treated to a joyful festival of food and lovely people. My fab friend Paula McIntyre, more from her later, who you would have heard on a previous podcast, put me forward and introduced me to Heather Shields from Ards and North Down Council. Together with her team, they put on a truly wonderful event. The sun shone that day, the food, drink, music and laughter flowed. You'll shortly hear me chat live on stage to the producers, but first, let's chat with Heather and Connell, two of the integral and marvellous people who put the event on. So it was a couple of months ago now that John and I came over um, to see you in Comba for your Comba Early's Food Festival, and it was the first time I'd ever been to Northern Ireland, and it I was completely overwhelmed by the beauty of the country. I mean, honestly, it was just so beautiful. But also how friendly and lovely everyone was. It was just such a joy to meet some fantastic people, but certainly at the uh, the Comberelli Food Festival, all these amazing producers and all this delicious food and all the people that produce it were just so gorgeous. I just want to introduce now Heather and Connor. Now, you are the people at the Coalface, the people that organise this amazing food festival. Um, so can you give me a little bit of history about the Comberelle, is the actual, this amazing potato that we celebrate once a year at this festival, and a little bit about the history of, of how the food festival started? Yep, absolutely. So the Comberelle's um, food festival started when the potato was given PGI status. So that was a big thing. For, for the borough, for the for the growers. Um, so they decided we need to celebrate this. So they decided to put on an event. Um, so that's how it all started really, which was uh, 10 years ago. So this was a this year was our 10th anniversary of that first festival. And it has grown a lot since then. Initially it was just to make people aware of what the Cumberbatches are and make them aware of the, the PGI status, which they got. And it's kind of just grown from there. So it started off very much around the potatoes, but now we, we've progressed it. We've moved to a bigger site. We've got lots of producers on board. So it's become part of this food festival, which is all encompassing of all the amazing producers that we have in our borough. So yes, the Cumberbatches are very much at the heart of it. That's what it is. But we also um, have moved that on then to look at all the other um, foods that are produced within our borough. And um, so that's really how it's how it's grown from there. And I was really lucky because you, um, I, but Paula, a friend, mutual friend, she got in touch yeah. and she said, Lottie, you know, um, 
is this something that you'd like to get involved in? And I was like, oh, yes, please, straight away. Um, and so I was very lucky because you were asked me to host the Meet the Producer stage, which is where I met all these fantastic producers. And, of course, I met, is it Richard, isn't it? The Comberelli Richard Orr, yes. Richard, yes, Richard Orr. So he was the one, he came up with his potatoes and he had um, planters in front with potatoes growing at different stages, which was fantastic because it is all about this incredible potato. So what is so special about it and what is so special about the area that they're grown in? Yeah, so Richard is probably much more qualified to give you all of the detail on this, as I'm sure he did when you were <laughs> at the did, festival. Yeah. But basically it's it's to do with the region that it's grown in. So it's to do with the soil quality and just the, the, um, the access to the sea and the quality of the soil. And it's a very short growing period for the Cumber early. So I think it's like eight weeks or something. Yeah, it's eight weeks. Eight weeks, yeah. I think, is really that short growing period. So everybody really looks forward to them coming out in the shops. You know, you look for the sign to say the Cumber Earlies are here and you eat them probably every single day until they go out of season again because <laughs> it is so short. Um, so, yeah, that I would say, you know, they're, they're a very unique flavour and a very unique way in which you cook them. So... You don't really tend to do an awful lot with them. Steam, butter, salt, and, and that's it. And the growers would tell you, Richard himself, too, that's the only way to eat them. And don't mess about with them. Don't do too, too much else with them. That's the way to eat them. And the reason why they have, the, part of the reason why they have the, the PTI, PTI status is because of, you know, it's a number of, of very unique geographical indicators mm -hmm. that got at that. Um, we're in a microclimate and around the northern part of Strangford Loch. Um, rarely gets frost and is well protect, probably the best protected place in the land from wind. Um, and so it's a combination of, of the, the good drainage and the soils in and around Strangford Loch, which would have been much bigger at one, at one point in time in the past. Um, so it has that, um, you know, sort of that, um, there's a slight, so, you know, the, the soil is fairly good, good at draining. Um, it's the drum, it's the impact of drumlands. This is drum, Drumland County. Um, and then it's the, you know, the topography and the climate. And that conspires then for us to be able to grow potatoes much earlier in this part of Northern Ireland. You couldn't do that where I'm from in North Altrum. It would just be, it's, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it, it, this part of Northern Ireland is, is, is quite, well, it is unique in terms of being able to do that. And it's not just for potatoes, I have to say. It's for a broad range of, of, of early vegetables. Um, it's probably the most intensively um, sort of winter crops in part of Northern Ireland, I would say. Um, so it, it, it's, it's good for us as a food and drink destination. So let's talk a bit more about the food festival, because, you know, that's, that I think, we we really understand each other don't we because we we both run food festivals and john and i do the ones over here you you do quite a few actually quite a few events don't you um yeah. over there quite a lot and um <laughs> but with the food festival it's it it's a lot of it's a lot of work that goes on in behind the scenes i don't think people kind of realize um no. and i remember on the the ending of the festival that day you were running around taking the bunting down and putting everything and i was sitting there thinking i don't actually have to do that that's quite nice this time yeah. <laughs> normally it's me taking that all my friends taking down the bunting and stuff so it was a real treat actually just to sit back and watch sorry but it was um but there is there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes and i know that you're a small team but you're actually quite a big team on the actual um event so tell me a little bit more about how long it takes for you to put it together and what you do behind the scenes gathering people in 
Yeah, so we it takes us about a year, really. Once we finish that event, we start planning again for the next year. And I, I work within the events team and Connell works, um, he's our food officer. So he's very much involved with those producers. And we have a food network as part of our, um, our borough. So there's a, you know, Connell, you could probably talk more about that, but he, Connell very much has those relationships with the producers. For me, I'm doing the nuts and bolts. So I'm um, organizing the infrastructure, bringing in the tents. Yeah. And dealing with lots of different people. All the politics. Yeah. It's great fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She says with a strange smile on her face. It's great fun. But you're you're Um, John. You're John in the relationship. I'm Connell, but you're John. Yes. (laughs) So he will have a lot of empathy with you. Director of Sanitation, as in Portaloose, all of that. Absolutely, all that really glamorous <laughs> stuff that comes with event planning. Yeah, so you know we're we're looking at um, once we get our budgets approved, we're we're looking at sourcing all of that kind of infrastructure, and you know the site map and planning and where everything's going to go, and then all the very important stuff, but not very exciting stuff of the health and safety of it, and making sure everybody's going to be safe when they're with us, and all of that sort of stuff. And then we the fun stuff comes when we start working with the college so we work with um, our local college Sark South Eastern Regional College who have an amazing um, catering team and we are very lucky to work with those guys because they bring along their students and they create amazing dishes from the demo kitchen for us and they this year did the Cumber Cookery School so people could come along and try to cook different um, dishes with these potatoes so we're very lucky to have that relationship it's brilliant fun and and that's a a lovely part of what we do but we also bring in activities for children to do and then we had a music stage this year so that's quite exciting you know booking your bands and getting involved with all of those guys and um so yeah there's lots of different bits to it yeah they were they were brilliant this year really pleased and then you spend a lot of your time just praying that the weather's going to play ball for you (laughs) by the time you've organized all of this stuff it's not going to rain. How many weather so, uh, apps? How many weather apps do you have? We have six. I have five. And I just keep looking through them until I find the one I like the yeah, best. And yeah. that's what I go with. <laughs> so with you on um, that. Yeah. So Colin, you could probably talk more about the producer side mm-hmm. of things and how we get them involved. So uh, I mean I I, I mean I came into this really in 2019 and we decided that we were going to set up a food and drink network. Um, we've got an ambition in North North Town to become, if not the leading food and drink destination in Ireland. We want to be recognised as a top one. It's a tall, it's a, you know, it's a tall order. It's a big task because you've got the likes of West Cork uh, and Galway and, and, and Boyne Valley, which are probably the three big ones. Um, but we think we're probably getting there in terms of Northern Ireland. Um, Derry East would probably be our sort of at the moment we'd think they're probably slightly somewhere in front of us in terms of being a food and drink destination but they have been going a few years more than we have but we set, set about in 2019 putting together a food and drink network and unlike many networks it's not just about producers we've got restaurants and independent retailers and we have sort of like various chefs and you know we know membership to extend out beyond that so our membership at the moment is 102 businesses we have 54 producers most of them are small, you know, micro or you know, small producers or micro producers. Um, quite a few of them actually started in. We've, there's twelve of them actually started during lockdown. Um, we're going to markets, and we sort of held their hand throughout the process. 
And I'd say most of them have been successful in establishing. Um, the likes of Sean Kelly, who you met, and Olivia, who really got going during lockdown, they have done very, very well indeed. Um, and they then were, it's trying to build them into sort of almost like a local team of businesses where they feel they get to know each other and they are getting to know each other. So we kind of have slotted them into our two main food festivals, which Heather does all the organizing for. Um, and you know, they, a lot of them do fit in with either you know, the Cumber Earlies um, or the Tide and Turf launch we do in September. Um, we, uh, we're very lucky to have such a good mix of them. Um, I think we're probably the luckiest burn since we've probably got the best spread out of everyone because we have seafood producers, we have rare breed beef producers, we have talented people in bread and a lot of artisanal chili sauce producers for some reason. I don't know how, why that's happened in our borough, but it has. I think it's to do with certain local taste and preferences. Northern Irish people do seem to like a bit of heat <laughs> in their food, perhaps because we don't get any in the weather. Um, <laughs> Um, and I, I, it's, it's crazy the amount of them we have. We've got five, we've got five in our borough, and all of them win awards. At, you know, sort of great taste level and blast and iron level. So we have that, and then we have um, quite a few. Um, we've got two distilleries, two brewers, and then we have a range of sort of very innovative um, sort of coffee producers. For another reason in our borough, we don't know why. We've got four of those. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a, actually there's a tea plantation down there, the first tea plantation in Northern Ireland. Um, and they're going to be starting to produce tea within the next two years. That's really quite strange for us. That just goes to show you climate is changing. Um, but we have um, they're on the inside of the, the, the lock there near Port of Ferry. But we've got yeah we've got we've got quite a few of those. So the range that we have it means that we can bring those to those food festivals, and it's, it means it's genuinely local. You know, it's within that thirty mile uh, the radius of either Cumber or uh, Port of Wilkie Tide and Turf. And then, you know, what we do, like, you know, we even got our own cheese producer, you know, Young Buck Cheese, which is, you know, one of the big names in cheese production. Um, we've got, you know, Candy Boy Yogurt. We, 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 we've got it all, really. And we're lucky to have it because we're the smallest borough in Northern Ireland outside Belfast. Um, and it's really easy then to bring that. It's been, it's, they're getting to know each other and it's been easy to build that team amongst them. It's making sure that we are that they are able to fit in with the theme of Cumber Earlies and then Titan Turf. Titan Turf isn't for them all, of course, but um, Cumber Earlies a lot of things complement potatoes, so it's it's probably the easier task to a certain extent. Yeah, and one of the lovely things about the festival was obviously we had all of those producers there trading, so people mm -hmm. could buy the produce, but we were able to complement that with what you did at the meet the producer stage. Mm -hmm. So it was promoting who they are what they're all about, how they got started. And then also from our demo kitchen where Paula McIntyre was and we had Poppy as well um, from Poppy Cooks. They were then showcasing what you can do with those products. And you were there as well. Actually, you did the first demo of the day. And um, we, we made sure that everything that was being produced from that kitchen brought in all of those products that were available to buy at the festival so it was like a full circle of, of everything that was there starting with those producers who produced this amazing produce for us yeah it's a learning process for them too you know they're learning the benefits of being involved in a festival like that and why they should go to it why they should maybe skip that market that they go to in belfast or balahinch for this particular event because it's a platform for them and they're you know they're getting that now that this is this is as much pr as it is selling for them and it's a way for them to reach more people 
Um, a lot of them would be, you know, there's this thing in Northern Ireland we think, you know, it's, it's this imposter syndrome. Oh, I'm not worth that. I'm not good enough. And a lot of them are saying, oh, you know, I'm going to make Lottie something, you know, and uh, they were a bit worried about that, some of them. And then I was like, no, you'll be fine. And it's like, they, they seem to think that they shouldn't be there. Mm. And it's making sure that they build the confidence because a lot of it is just the fact that, yes, they might be confident in the quality of the product they produce, but they're not necessarily confident about thinking that they are, you know, that they are artisanal, they're, they're amazing quality and that they are able to speak publicly about their, their produce. And it's getting them to that point where, they are confident and festivals allow us to do that in particular. Mm. It's a massive PR opportunity for them all. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think you're absolutely right because a lot of producers, it's about numbers, it's about selling at small markets. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I I find that quite a lot. And I explain to people, actually, you know, it's it's cost more because we, we charge um, a lot more for our stalls than um, markets. And that's because the platform's bigger. You know, we're bringing thousands of people through. We're giving you the opportunity. We do masterclasses and, and use their products and on the big cookery station. You know, we, and we do the, the interviews as well. So it's giving people, as you say, a different type of platform. It's not, not necessarily just about selling. It's about projecting yourself. And you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of small producers are very guilty of the fact they don't think yeah. they're good enough. No, you're absolutely right. You really are. And it's taking care of them as well, which I think you do really well, Connell, because they they were all really, as you say, some of them were a little bit nervous about coming up. But when yeah. they were there and you chatted yeah. to them and said, it's going to be fine, you know, just bring it. They, were, they were really happy to do it. Because when as soon as they're in their comfort zone of talking about their own yeah. produce, they're fine. You know, they'll always yeah. be fine. Um, and, and I've rarely met somebody from Ireland who can't chat actually so let's, <laughs> let's, let's i don't think that's ever happened i've always been always really willing to have a chat and a and a gas and it's just no it's um it was a real joy to meet them all i think sean kelly was the one that made me laugh because that guy you know i he said to me afterwards i think i can't remember what he said he'd done before i think it was something to do with market stores and i said well it doesn't surprise me because he was <laughs> he just talked brilliantly yeah about what he could do and his bread was it's just amazing you're so lucky yeah. to have that on your doorstep mm-hmm. um because i think no, we're lucky to have him in our borough yeah, yeah you, very lucky. you really are and i think and again when i was at indie food um we we spent a fortune in there the next day um <laughs> went there for coffee and came out with all this beautiful stuff you know you had that's purely irish produce in there and that's yeah. in yeah. To be able to fill a shop like that with Pulero, oh, you're so lucky. It's it's quite yeah. astounding what you do have um, in your country, and I I just think it's I think it's quite wonderful. So how many so how many of these producers do you think you'll get extra next year? Do you think you'll be able to get it because they've all put it? I know they all talk. They all talk amongst themselves, and yeah. so they'll be saying, "Well, you must come along to the Comberelli." So do you think you'll be able to gather a few more? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely think, you know, this year we, we moved venue, which in itself can be a bit nerve wracking for us and also for people, you know, it's, it's, people are putting out their time and their money to come along and they're going to get everything ready to come to the festival. You don't just turn up there, as you well know, there's a lot of work goes into that beforehand. So when you're moving venues, people can be a bit nervous so I think for this year coming up it will be an easier sell hopefully yeah, because um we had such an amazing day with so many people through the producers all had a really good day of trade and also promoting 
themselves and their products. So yes, the hope is that we would grow that every every year and um, get as many of the, those really high quality producers that we want to be able to promote and have have them all there. So yes, that would definitely be the aim for us for next year. And the hope is that it would be a, an easier sell because the, the new venue worked so well for us yeah. and gives us the opportunity to grow it. And you know, we where we were before, we didn't move that far. It was literally five minutes down the road, but um, we have the opportunity to have more producers there, which we were limited to before. Mm. So that's good. Yeah, we we did that with Tame Food Festival. We moved from the town centre to a greenfield into, and it was very nerve wracking. We've been there seven years yeah. now, and a lot of people were quite grumpy about it as well. You know, they sort of said, "Oh, no, 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 I don't like that." <laughs> yeah, they still go on about it sometimes, but you know, it it, it flourishes there. You need more space to be able to add more things to make it mm-hmm. so something you know, make it an event that people want to spend the day at. And once they yeah. spend a few hours in a day there with music and children and things, they spend more money yeah. with the producers. It's just the way exactly. the way it all goes. So it's very exciting for next year, right? So, um, I have a question that I ask everybody that we chat with. Um, and uh, and I think uh, you have heard the podcast, so you know what this is going to be. Um, what is your 50 shades of food? Okay, we'll start with Heather, then we'll go... No, yeah, we'll start with Heather, and then we'll go to Carl. So this is something, Heather, a little bit filthy, okay? So your, your kids are out, your husband's out. You've got, you're on your own, okay? You put a bit, yes. a bit of Barry White on, if you fancy. Close the <laughs> curtains. It's just a bit of you and you time. What is it you like to eat? Mine would be a crisp sandwich, I have to say. <laughs> Brilliant. But it has to be really, really fresh white bread, proper butter. And we have crisps here in Northern Ireland called Tito. Tito, yes. cheese and onion crisps. And sometimes I would add a little bit of um, really extra mature cheese. And then you squish it all down and a big crunch. Mm. It's lovely but yeah. only to be eaten on your own definitely <laughs> crisps spreading out of it and going down your front and it all squidgy lovely that's sandwich it. that sounds yeah. fantastic no i i can concur with that one that's what about <laughs> what about you connell um, connell's a bit more fancy than me he probably <laughs> uh well so well it's two things really um so cheese is my big weakness um and i love um, a really nice sort of like blue but creamy cheese um, on something with like a, a bit of, a bit of spicy relish on crackers, and if the, the whole packet will get eaten, and that can that was always with gin because I only drink gin. I don't drink wine. I don't drink beer. I've only ever drunk gin. And my capacity then to drink gin <laughs> increases massively. Well, the cheese um, is marvellous for that because it lays lines with your tummy, doesn't it? The cheese, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. And if, if it's not that, then I probably would go with something like um, either padron peppers um, with um, a nice sort of like balsamic kind of like glaze over them, uh, or it will be. No, that makes me sound boy. I was going to say you're definitely. He's being very I, fancy, I isn't boys. he, Heather? He's very yeah. fancy. <laughs> I love padron peppers. I absolutely love yeah. them, and they don't necessarily like me very much. And I just have to be willing to take the pain after it. <laughs> um, but I like I love padron peppers, and if it's not that, then it's it's things like you know cheese on crusty bread with um, orange honey and nuts and things like that all mixed together. Yeah. I, I see a cheese theme going between both of you, um, and I'm yeah. completely with you on that because it's my weakness. 
any form of cheese, melted cheese, stringy cheese, any mm -hmm. type of cheese. And like with you with a really lovely creamy blue cheese, you know, or yeah. just, you know, even, I know it sounds like, even, I do like celery and blue cheese. I know it's a bit 1970s, yeah. but I do like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or yeah. as you say, some really lovely crusty bread, slightly warm. Padron mm -hmm. peppers, I love them. They're a, little, they're a bit of a lottery, aren't they? There's always one in there, which is rocket yeah. strength, which will just get you on a waist. But that's kind of fun, isn't it? It's, it's lovely when you have them on holiday in Spain and you're having them served up to you and you don't have to do it yourself. But yeah. um, but on a Friday night, yeah. yeah. Friday night, yeah. And with Jen, definitely. Cheese, any shape or form, on your own, curtains closed, a bit gooey, down your front, a few crumbs. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Um, yeah. I'm sure. there with you. What's I'm hungry now. Going to get some cheese. Listen, it's been so lovely to chat to you. Um, thank you for inviting us. We had the most wonderful time there. We really did. It was an exceptional, wonderful weekend in a beautiful place. Um, it was very hot on the day of the festival. Rain for the rest of our trip, which was you know yeah. fairly normal. This whole <laughs> summer's been like that. <laughs> yeah, it's been like that here. It's been rubbish, but no, it was an absolute joy. So I'm really forward now because um, we're going to pop your interview at the front, but. I'm looking forward for everyone to now hear all those uh, wonderful producers that we spoke to over the weekend. And so everyone gets over to you and starts buying their produce as well. But they can buy them online as well, a lot of them, can't they? So yeah, absolutely. easy, yeah. wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming. You added such a lovely element to the festival for us. So yeah. hope you come back next year. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> we'll be back, don't you worry. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I was hosting the Meet the Producer stage and first up was the fabulous Richard Orr who grows the amazing Comba Early potatoes. Right ladies and gentlemen, if you want to take a seat, this is the Meet the Producer tent and I'm Lottie Duncan and I'm going to be interviewing 10 wonderful producers over the course of the afternoon. We're just going to have informal chats, we're going to talk about what it is they produce, how they produce it and we're all going to have a little taste as well. Let's give a round of applause, please, to Richard Orr from William Orr and Sons, who grow the gorgeous combat potatoes. Now, we have actually got some tasters, which we're going to hand around for everyone to have a go, because where, where is your stall? Where are you over there today, somewhere? Which direction? So, yes, our stall's just up that row there at the end. Um, so we have one chalet for steaming them and cooking them for samples and then the next one next door is for selling them. selling them and you're busy over there apparently it's really busy yeah <laughs> right from the get-go today Richard tell me about you know your farm and and how you practice um because I know you're it's a sustainable way of farming isn't it that you do well yeah well our farm's based in Raffrey um which is just about three miles outside Ballygown um so we're fourth generation, I'm fourth generation farmer. Um, my father works with me in the business as well as my wife and my mum. Um, and my grandfather's just passed away about three years ago there. He was the original William Moore, but it's a name that carries through. So a whole lot of Williams about <laughs> my young fellas well as well. So um, yeah, we've been growing potatoes for a long time. Um, and we grow early's and main crop potatoes about 12 or 14 different varieties each year um, and then we pre-pack them for supermarkets as well or catering trade or wholesale or just basically anybody that will buy them. <laughs> well, I'm not, I don't think you're going to be short of buying them today as well but the, tell me about the combo because it's not actually a variety is it? No the combo early 
name refers to more the area that they're growing. So PGI status was granted in 2012, and that means that any potato called a cumber early or a new season cumber potato has to be grown within a designated area, which is all around the shores of Strangford Loch. Um, and they're only allowed to be a cumber early throughout May, June and July. Uh, and a couple other unique things with the PGI is they need to be between 30 and 70 millimetres in size and they need to be harvested whilst they're still growing or green. So that gives them their unique loose skin. So they're still growing when they're harvested. Obviously, whenever a potato plant or a potato is planted, it then sprouts and then that forms a plant. And then it's the root system of that plant that produces little hooks or tubers that then grow into becoming potatoes. So yeah, but potatoes require an awful lot of water to grow. And especially at that later stage, the last sort of two weeks, three weeks, to bulk into size, they, they require an awful lot of water. So even though we've had quite a bit of rain recently, um, because the plant is living and growing and it's using all the water and the soil around it, then very quickly it needs more water. Um, so, sorry, I hope it's nice and dry today, but I hope it's lashing the night. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want, yeah, when, uh, well, it's six o'clock when it all finishes, then, yeah. it can, then it can yeah. all do it. We're rained out of here. <laughs> What's so special about the soil and the air and the temperature and, uh, you know, in Comba <laughs> that produces these exquisite potatoes? Yeah, well, obviously, County Down is the best county in Northern Ireland and Ireland. Yeah. So, you know, that's, <laughs> come on. Um, no, it's the land around Strangford Lock that really allows us to grow them so early and what makes them unique in that sense. So we have a very stony, uh, sandy soil. It's rare that you would get it stony and sandy together. Obviously, it's some, that makes it sometimes difficult to work because it's hard on machinery and whatever, but it's what leaves the land open and free draining. So you're able to go in in the colder, wetter months of the year in February and make the land ready and plant them. But then also the stones warm up much quicker than the soil and will keep the ground warmer and allow the plants to thrive whenever the air temperature is cooler. And then the lock, the influence of the lock as well with the, the salty air stops the frost from, from killing the plants. So very frosty evenings often, if it was you know minus two or three, a mile or two away, it would still be at zero at the shore side. And especially if the tide's in, whenever the night's at its coldest, say from about half four to half seven in the morning, if the tide's in, then you're, you're usually pretty sure that the plants won't be harmed by the frost because the frost just wipes them, just burns them to a crisp, and then they have to start all over again. God, yeah. So, so that's good. So it's, it, it, basically, it's the perfect place yeah. for them, which is why they have PGI. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and also, we're in a bit of a rain shadow area from the morns there so this last few years because of climate change it's been becoming too dry but historically we were a bit drier here because of that effect as well um so there's uh, there's other ones but i'll not bore you to death yeah. but those are the the main ones that make it unique for Thank growing the earlies yeah one yet so this is my first moment and everyone tells me they're quite nutty 
Alright, so. Are they warm enough? Yeah. Oh, yeah. really good. Is it good? Yeah. Cool. You oh. don't have to say that, don't you? No, I don't. Well, no, well. I wouldn't be rude, but I mean, I'm telling you, they are really good. They're good. really creamy. Mm. Nutty. Everything you've described, they are. Quite earthy as but well. But they taste of potato, mm. which I know sounds weird, because you can get potatoes that just don't taste of potato, but they taste of potato. Yeah, I mean, variety is very important. Those are home guard. Well, they've so got lots of butter on too. Well, just a wee, oh. a wee bit. Oh, it's over better, it. better. But they're steamed as well. It's so important that you steam a cumber early because this flavour is so subtle that if you boil it, you just boil all the flavour out of it, you know? So creamy. Mm. It just melts in your mouth and just sort of fills your whole mouth with flavour. Really. That's blooming lovely. Good, well, I'm glad you enjoyed I'll it. I'll get it later. There's plenty more over there. I will, I'll be coming over for some more. Thank you so much, Richard. It's, I've learned, honestly, I've learned so much about potatoes. I mean, I thought I knew quite a bit about potatoes, but I knew nothing, nothing. <laughs> to eat them. The most important thing for the likes of yourself is to just eat them because then I can grow more. So next up is Robert Neal who makes the most amazing sausages apart from many other things. He has a pig farm and Robbie is also a firefighter and he's from the underbelly. You've got an amazing story which you're going to tell me about um, how you first started this because as you just said, you are a firefighter, so you, you are a firefighter full-time in Belfast, but it started off as a hobby, didn't it, really? And it's grown exponentially. So how did you start? Yeah, that's exactly it, Lottie. We, we're based just outside uh, Cross Gar, between Crunchy and Cross Gar, and we're traditional beef and sheep farmers. And it must have been about 2016, 2017, that I had said to my wife that, that we weren't long married and I said hey, I wouldn't mind getting a pig because I love the sustainability of farming. So at that point she had said to me, not a chance, there's enough four-legged animals running about the place. We're starting a young family at the time and uh, strand-headed as farmers are, I waited two weeks later till uh, Louise was away in a hen party. <laughs> and I went and got my first sow and that was uh, Martha, who was a four-year-old and at Oxford Sandy and Black Side. So we had the first letter from her then, way back then. We weren't sure are what they, we were going are to they do. Spotty? They're spotty, they are indeed. Yeah, I know the so ones. So they're like, uh, the way I would nearly describe them, they're, they're like a Dalmatian nearly, except mm. ginger undercoat with black spots. They're, yeah. they're a beautiful pig, really lovely to look at. And we also breed British saddlebacks as well, that are more or less a pure black pig with a white saddle over their, over their shoulder. And uh, so we started off with Martha and her first litter. Um, we weren't sure what we were going to do with the peglets, and, uh, and we pushed them on to the, the finishing stage. And then sold the pork to family and friends and so forth. And then we began to realize there's a wee bit of a niche market here that there wasn't a lot of people doing this. So we got our second side, and, and it sort of just progressed from there. It went beyond what we ever started off with one, one side for a bit of crack. And that's how you end up, you fall into these small businesses like this. And, and you feed them unusually on some local products as well. I mean, they're very well fed and well looked after pigs, aren't they? They are. They're probably, as I always say, they're probably on a better diet than I am <laughs> half the time. And, uh, but that is a big part of our story. Whenever we first initially started out and uh, we tied in with the guys uh, in Farmageddon Brewery at the time, and we started getting their spent green. 
and uh, and we work with a lot of different breweries there. We're with Hinch Distillery for a while, and at the minute we're with a Bull House Brewery down in Belfast there. So we get their spend green, that is a waste product to them guys, and we do at least one or two pickups every week. We also work with Mike's Fancy Cheese, who is down in Gidnard, there's probably a lot of people here will know who Mike is. And uh, so we, we sort of made contact with Mike, and before we came on board, Mike was getting the milk from the, the dirty herd locally up in Craig Antlet, and uh, making his cheese products out of it, and then he was actually taking the way back, and he was just dumping the way back in the story tank, there was no use for it at all. So we came on board, and, uh, and we are now feeding the way to our pigs. We also get scrap vegetables from local farmers, raw veg, and the pigs are also fed a mineral meal whenever they're farrowing with pig lips and at, at a young age. But we nickname our pigs and um, like eco pigs <laughs> because they're literally being fed and uh, byproducts, and that's what we're rearing. Yeah. They're an old traditional breed that lay down that wee bit more fat. But I, there's a lot of people always, well, they like the fat of that. I actually don't like to call it the fat layer, I always like to call it. It's the layer of flavour, because yeah. that's where your flavour is, yeah. and uh, so it, it has. It's a, it's a nice story to it kind of thing. There's a wee bit of background to it, and with our pedigree pigs as well, there's a certain amount of conservation goes into that. And uh, with breeder pigs, there's a breeding program. We also show our pigs, and uh, we're showing a farmer this year, and our ma Castle Elm. We actually have and a batch of our pigs at Newry Show that a friend's showing here uh, this afternoon for us. So there's conservation going on as well, and by local restaurants, by the public buying our products as well, they're, 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 they're helping the conservation of our pigs as well, that's making it worthwhile for us to keep the pigs. Yeah, and, and the, 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 I was going to say the proof's in the taste, because I know that there's some, has, has people had sausages, have they all come round to you? Because I've got, I've got one here. I've got, I actually managed to pick up one of the little pots and they had quite a bit of sausage in. Honey and mustard. That's it. Um, and you're selling these, are you, over on your stand today? Yeah, we, we are. We have a stand here. We're literally just over the far side from the tent here. And uh, oh, so, so we have all our pork more or less from head to tail, as we would say, with roast, with shoulder roast, with pork belly. With about seven flavors of sausages with our back bacon streaky bacon so and because the the, the pork's obviously coming from our pigs it's a it's a fine canvas what we can do with it so we try and do a lot of cuts shoulder roasts and pork butts for your pulled pork that you wouldn't get in every butcher but you'll find it with us because most butchers will bring in and pork as they need it for sausages or bacon so we try and concentrate on the, the premium cuts in the shoulder, the loin, the pork belly as well, along with our, you know, everyday sausages and bacon. There's a lot to do with pork, apart from sausages. Apart from sausages, and sausages and bacon that yeah. everybody knows it as. It really yeah. is. It's sort of, a, it is a lovely product. Yeah. And pork belly, of course, you know, that's very popular now. And I think it's because people always sort of, you know, for, for so many years people said, don't eat fat, don't eat fat, don't eat fat, eat this. And actually, they're all wrong. Eat fat, eat butter, eat cream, because actually it's pure. It's good for you. It is good for you. I mean, okay, you know, a lot of butter, you might have a bottom like mine, because I like butter. I built my butter, my bottom on butter. That's what I say. <laughs> but, you know, you, it, if you eat it, it's pure. It's and it, you know your pigs are well looked after. They're fed well, so you're getting good meat. 
good, honest meat. Yeah, well, well that's exactly it. There, there is that wee bit more fat can lay down on some of, and some of our pigs can be quite lean as well, but you're exactly right on the fatty side of things as far as if you're eating good quality meat and it has that fat in it, it, it has to be all good for you. Yeah. It, it's how, it's how, it's what people, people ate generations ago and generations ago when the meat was good and wholesome. It was coming yeah. from small suppliers yeah. and it, it, it was, it was full of goodness. I think pigs are actually known as probably like the fourth, one, about the fourth and most intelligent animal yeah. in, in the world. And I always joke that and they always think pigs are smelly, pigs are this, that and the other, but I always say, I always think some of my pigs are cleaner and they're more more intelligent than some people I know. <laughs> That's a, yeah. they, they, they really are, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah. And uh, even from a young age, they're really inquisitive. We have, we have about three or four small litters on the ground at the minute. And, uh, and they are, and they're fantastic even for the kids to grow up with and work with as well. Brilliant, wonderful. Thank you so much, Robbie. Oh, it's been you. a delight to talk to you. It really has. Thank been fascinating. You. And your sausages are amazing. I've got one little one left. I might save it for you, John. You never know. Laura Bradley from Indie Food. They have an amazing shop here and one in Belfast. She bought some cheese to the sofa. Hello. That was delicious. It's so lovely to speak to you. So um, you were telling me earlier how you started. So should we just... Yeah, to chat about this. You and Johnny. Why yeah, Johnny yeah. Start Johnny originally, yeah, yeah. Johnny by himself. Um, doing a bit of travelling around Ireland and kind of seeing all this wonderful local produce and just wondering kind of why he couldn't get his hands on it at home because, like, Johnny's a Cumber boy, like, he's from Cumber and thought, why isn't it accessible? Why can't I get my hands on all this tasty food from Ireland? And thought, right, well, I'm going to set up a market stall and get all this stuff in. And I mean, we probably discovered to his detriment that that's not how it works. Like, you can't just buy food and expect people to arrive and buy it. So a website came shortly afterwards. And then kind of the, the opportunity for a pop-up shop, which was in Cumber here. And then kind of the rest history, it all just kind of gathered momentum from there, kind of onwards onto, you know, the shop, moving into a bigger shop and then opening one up in Belfast as well and the website which is kind of pretty busy for us which ships all over uk and ireland so everyone in britain can get a taste of our great food as well well that's really good to know actually because what i was talking to you about earlier was how i think it was about 2004 i went down to cork and kerry and i did some filming down there and we were talking of all the different producers there because southern irish food was kind of on the rise then everyone was beginning to go oh hold on a minute this is all great and then they were you know they're all in our uh, sort of in our vision a lot more but I, I felt now, I feel now that Northern Ireland is now running pretty close behind. It is indeed. Like we've, we've kind of taken our time to catch up. Ireland um, has, well, all of Ireland has such a brilliant, uh, like such a diversity of food and green, green grass, great dairy, really good growing conditions and so many super talented people. And it's just taken a little while for those people to kind of learn and get inspired and We've also had a lot of really talented people moving to Ireland. So there's a lot of mainly kind of mainly like Irish women that have gone and got like a talented man from another country and dragged <laughs> them back to Ireland and are now are now here kind of making great produce as well. Are you give which me an is example? exciting. Give me an example of that. So, so well we it's actually actually it's a man and woman, but so one of our cheesemakers, um, the Hickeys up in County Londonderry. 
so Kevin there went traveling, went around America, met a gorgeous lady, Julie, who was making great cheese, and he thought, God, we need that in Ireland. Like, I, I'll marry you and bring you back, and we'll, we'll start making some cheese. And that, that has been going from strength to strength. Uh, which is which is very exciting and Did he give really us great cheese. Proposal? Yeah, like you're gonna come make on. a cheese love, yeah. come on. Come yeah. on. Come on, we'll make so cheese. So it's a those lines. <laughs> That's wonderful. And this cheese here, talk about cheese. So we've got this one here. This is a Northern Irish cheese. It is. So this is our most local cheese that we're giving out as samples today. This is a young buck. Lots of people have probably probably tried this one. It's made in Newtonard, so like between I gotta say five miles away, but my geography's shocking. So this side of Newtonards, uh, the milk comes from Candy Boy, so just another few miles up the road. And Mike's been making this raw milk Stilton style cheese now for pretty much the same amount of time as us. So he kind of started about eight years ago, so we've all kind of grown up together, which is, which is super charming and fun. And it's stunning. It's a really, really great kind of creamy blue, lovely marbling, nice and tangy, like... There's barely a cheese board in Northern Ireland without it, or Ireland, and it's sneaking over further field now. He's shipping it to Italy, and yeah, it's, it's great. It's so balanced. It's actually very sweet as well, and it's got none of that sort of astringency from the mold on the blueing. It's just... No, it's still quite young, about three months mm. old. Mike would age that too, and yeah. um, we always say that it has like this kind of slight tang of, you know, there's like foam bananas. Like it's that kind of sweetness, yes. which sounds mad. Like no, but, but it's, you're right. And also, but that tang, it's just got me, it's tweaking my cheeks in all the right places. That's the only way to describe it, and the edge of my tongue. It's mouth-watering, like you just need more. Oh, like, I more. want more. Yeah. yeah, and you've all eaten it all. There's none left for me. That's not good enough. But no, it is, that is a beautiful, it's beautiful, beautiful it? cheese. It really is. Um, and that's what I love. And you, actually, sorry, you're going to say you got it from the Candy Boy Estate. That's so that's where their, the milk, their milk comes from, um, a farm beside the Candy ah. Boy Estate there. So right. not not a farmhouse cheese, but really, really close. Like yeah. really local, really kind of really great cheese. And it lingers. It's still there. It's, it's still hanging cool. around in a really lovely way. Be one of our best sellers across mm. both shops. Obviously, because it's hy like hyper local and everybody wants to support that. But yeah. also because it's, it's brilliant. Like it's such a great quality cheese. We've got a really good team there. They're... Yeah, make the quality stuff. So what else do you sell? So you obviously, it's only from Ireland, all the food you, it, you yeah, sell is yeah. only from Ireland. It is indeed, yeah, from north and, and south. It's amazing, and there must be so much choice. There really is. There's more and more every year. There's more people doing more kind of interesting things. Um, so cheese would be, our shop in Belfast is a cheese shop, so it is mainly cheese, charcuterie, a few bits and pieces. Our one here in Cumber is kind of everything you need for a really kind of really gorgeous shop. Everything from, like, we have great breads from Sean, who's actually here today, would need improve. A really great charcuterie from, like, from Corndale, and they're kind of up the north coast, which is lovely. Um, we have loads of jams, chutneys, stunning chocolates. Um, and pretty much everybody here as well is, is in the shop as well. So, like, you can see AP there with his, like, nitro coffee and the mallow makers with their mallows like anything oh, anything that's good like yeah. around here we will have it You've like got them in yeah we've got them and we try and get them as early as possible you know <laughs> and we're spoiled you know we get we get them here and you know they now that we've been around for a while they come to us quite early you know we get to see everybody as they're growing again like give them feedback if they need it give them a bit of love and support and that's what it's about really you know it's I, a real community yeah, i totally agree with you because if someone is starting up they do and they're just putting the feelers out there it's nice to have that support from you and guide them exactly yeah. and give you a wee bit of kind of like 
Like this is pretty good, but this is kind of like there's a gap in the market here. Like what what do you think? Like if you kind of did this, it'd be brilliant. And yeah, it's yeah, it's exciting. It's a really good thing to be involved in. Do you find that after lockdown, do you think you've had more producers start? Because a lot of people started businesses up, didn't they? You did. You got quite a few sort of passion projects starting over lockdown and a few people that have sort of ended up with businesses from that. Like one of the um, brewers we've got over in the tent with us today, Chris from Modest. That was a kind of lockdown project, and, and now he's got an exquisite range of beers that you can find everywhere, you know, here, McBride's, and in, like, off-licenses all over Ireland, so it is, it's, it's like, loads yeah. of bits and pieces like that, where people were like, oh, what am I going to do? What will I do? And there was that upsurge of support for local, yeah. because you couldn't, like, you couldn't, couldn't get, get anywhere couldn't else. get anywhere, couldn't yeah. get a slot with Tesco's or Sainsbury's. You went somewhere local, realized that Tesco and Sainsbury's aren't really all that. Like, you're better coming down the street. And, you know, kept going from there. Thank you so much for coming here. Thank you for bringing that cheese, because that was delicious. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Lottie. It's been great. And hopefully I'll get a chance to pop in, because we're here for a few days. Oh, please do. If you need anything at all, give me a shout. Look after you. All right, thank you. Big round of applause, please, for Laura. Thank you. If you like chilies, you're going to really love Habanero Steve's. I chatted with Olivia Stewart, who's one half of the team, and I tried all her different jellies. And straight afterwards, I went straight over and bought them all. I'm here at the Meet the Producer stage all day, interviewing, I'm very privileged to say, but interviewing some amazing producers. Um, we've done potatoes and we've done pork so far. And now it's all about the Habanero chili. And I'd like you to meet, this is Olivia Stewart. From Hi. <laughs> Hi. Habanero Steves. From Habanero Steves. And um, we're going to do some tasting as well. So if you'd like to try some chilli, do put your hand up so you can try the three stages of the chilli as well. We've got, we've got mild, mild, medium and knock your socks off. Excellent. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Please, can we just have a little round of applause, though, I think, for Olivia, if you don't mind. You just let's, let's get all happy in there. <laughs> Lovely. Great stuff. Right, take a pew. Olivia, when, I, when you came up, I, I said to you, so Habanero... Steve, so now Steve is your husband. He comes up with all the recipes, but you do all the hard work. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you do all the hard work. So how did you come up with the idea of just let's let's make the chili sauce? Uh, well, <laughs> we were actually um, started out growing flowers, and uh, we actually watched Jimmy at home. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he gave us the idea that why not grow your own veg? You don't need a very big garden. You can do it just, you know, in cans or, you know, a very small plot. So Steve said, I like growing chilies. I'm going to give chilies a go. So we did that um, just on a very small, what we thought, basis. But it was a hot summer that year and it really took off. So we were left with all these chilies. And then we thought, what are we going to do with all these chilies? Decided to make some chili jam. Brilliant. And so, did you start selling at farmers markets or to friends, family? Um, we started out just to friends and family. Um, we did a few charity fundraisers. Um, we were involved with National Autistic Society at that time, so we did a few charity fundraisers for them. Um, and then, when we saw it was going very well, we thought maybe there's something in this. And we started out very small, just at carpet sales, and grew it from there. Wonderful. And here you are today. How many varieties do you actually have? How many different types? We have about six different hot sauces and I think we have about eight different chilli jams on the go. But what, what we tend to do is we do seasonal specials as well. So depending on, at the moment we do a chilli chutney which is made from our own courgettes that we grow. 
Um, they're just coming into season now, so it's the perfect time to go and get something like that and, and we'll do different seasonal specials. And you're award winning as well, aren't you? You've yeah. won loads of awards. Well, not loads, but we're getting there. No, you, you, well, I've got the piece of paper that says you have. You have definitely. Right, so who's got some of this chilli uh, sauce with them? Okay, right, we have three different types. Now, I've got, you're going to have to tell me that there, because I'm hoping I did, I've got them all in the right order here, because otherwise I won't be able to talk after one of them, which is probably a good thing, I don't know. <laughs> um, so let's go with the mild one first. Okay. So the milder one would be the Mexican Slammer, which is the green one. It's um, jalapeno, lime and tequila. It's really zesty and fresh. Oh, it is. That's delicious. <laughs> and then the heat comes, and it's a nice heat. Yeah. It's a gentle little tingle on my tongue. But I've definitely got that lovely zesty, zingy lime in there. You do get that. I like it, it goes lovely with Mexican food. If oh. you do burritos or tacos or things like that. That's it's wonderful. It's really fruity. It's really fruty. And that, I mean, that, is it the, it's the type of chili I'm presuming you're using, which, because people don't realize they're quite fruity. They can taste Different quite- Different chilies are. Yeah, they can hand. taste so quite fruity. That one, as I say, is, is jalapeno. Mm but it's, we use lime zest in it as well, so you really get the liminess coming through. That's stunning. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that is great. So what's the next one I'm going about to try? So the next one is my best seller in the chilli jams. It's pineapple napalm, and it's made with a citrusy flavoured chilli from Peru called an ahi. Um, they're very difficult to find, so we have to grow those ourselves. Um, we can't really buy them in, in the shops. So yeah, they're what we concentrate our main crop on because that's oh, a bestseller. Think like blue cheeses, strong cheddars, anything like that. I am not surprised really that's a big seller. That's stunning. <laughs> that pineapple in there is beautiful. Mm. And you know what? You haven't made them too sweet. Sometimes they can be so awfully sweet and then they're a little bit, you know, tooth toothaching, yeah. you know? Yeah. There's a beautiful balance of acidity and sweetness in there. That is delicious. Okay, what does everyone else think? Yes, have you all tried it? You, the pineapple one is really good. Go on, I'm going to come over and get some of that. In fact, I'm going to get the jalapeno one as well. Now, this is, the, this is the hottest. That's the hottest sample that we have. We do have a hotter one. Okay. That one is mango magma, and it is made with a habanero chili. So habanero chili is quite a hot one. So you get the mango flavor first of all, and then a few seconds in, you get the heat. Yeah, you do. I <laughs> <Thank> do. <you. laughs> Oh, hello. Yeah, you do get the heat. But you know what? It's actually very regulated. It builds. But then it dies away. Yeah. It's actually, that is amazing. Oh, I love that. And the sweetness of the mango is still there. See, what's really good with chilli is if you have sugar with chilli, it softens the chilli, doesn't it? It softens yeah. the powerful. What's the level? It's not the Richter scale level, because that's earthquakes, although it's pretty close, isn't it, to chilies? What is that scale? <laughs> The Scova. The Scova yeah. scale. So where would you be with a habanero on that? Off the top of my head. Not quite quite high. Yeah, around 2000, maybe yeah. something like that. I can't remember just off the top of my head. But you've really, really regulated the heat in that because actually it's a beautiful warmth. It's made my mouth all tingly and my throat... <laughs> No, but it's and my eyes aren't watering. Good. Which is, you know, so I think it's I think it's really beautifully balanced. It really is. It's um, quite stunning. So have you got any flavours which um, you're sort of working on at the moment? Um, we're looking at doing um, a 
completely tomato-based one. You get some people come over and they're looking a generic chili jam, which a lot of people sell. Our thing is that we, we do different fruit flavours than that. So you're competing with a trumpet, so just... <laughs> so we're looking at um, a chili, uh, tomato-based chili jam. We do tomato chutney at the moment, but it has other flavours in it, so just a straight tomato chili jam, and also um, a pear chili jam is in the, in the pipeline a too. A pear chili jam. Yeah, I that's don't what think we're working on. That would be amazing. I suppose obviously they're coming into season, so you'll be they'll be they'll exactly. be everywhere. But that's very interesting because I don't think I've ever seen a pear chili jam. So that's something very. We we do a lot um, with a, a cheesemonger in Hollywood. Yeah. And so he's always looking for different flavors to pair with the cheeses, yeah. and he knows his cheeses very well, and he knows what flavors go with them. Yeah. I know which of these jams and, and know what's going to go. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we work well together. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> I think they're absolutely beautiful. They're wonderful, wonderful chilli sauces. And people need to get themselves over now to your stall, which, again, is over there. To the right. Yes, just I'm, beside I'm actually the, going the refill to, bus. I'm going to follow you over there now because I'm going to come and get some because it is really beautiful, beautiful stuff. And John and I, my partner over there, who's recording our interview for our, our podcast. Did you know that? No, no you didn't. Oh, okay. We, we run a podcast called Truly Scrumptious. And it's all about food festivals, foodie friends, food producers, behind the yeah. scenes. It's, it's just, basically, it's just a love of food, but in a different way. So um, we're going to have you on there and we'll be talking about Thank it, obviously, you. as well. But no, honestly, it was delicious. Delicious, Olivia. And it, we just, it's called Habanero Sneeze, but it really should be called Habanero Olivia's, don't you think? <laughs> Doesn't have the same flow, though. <laughs> we'll go with that one. There were so many producers that we've gone and done two episodes. So next time I'll be chatting with Paula and meeting more clever, passionate and hard-working producers who shone at the Comba Early's Potato Festival. you like listening to our podcast we just love producing it if you think you know someone that would enjoy listening to it too please share and pass on please like and follow us on the platform you listen with we are on instagram truly scrumptious podcast and of course there are our festivals where this podcast stems from bradford on avon food and drink festival and tame food festival website links are on our profile but just google them and you'll find us and buy tickets to visit thanks again for listening